to talk about today. I'm really excited. I've been looking forward to making this episode for, well, I guess the past week since I made the last one. Um, I had a blast making it. The reception was phenomenal. Everybody seemed to truly enjoy it. And um, I put together some material this morning that I hope will be entertaining. And I'm really looking forward to sharing with you guys. To begin, I'm really excited about where we're at in in the actual year. So right now it's July, and that means it's training camp season. I'm a huge NFL fan. I'm sure as most, if not all of you are. Uh, And training camp season means one thing, that football season's right around the corner. We have preseason games coming up in about three weeks. And I know a lot of people that don't, consider preseason to be actual football season and I get that I mean you're looking at a lot of backups coming in it's not high quality football regardless I am excited about it because it signifies that football season is real football season is coming up I actually enjoy watching the preseason games now I'm not a huge NFL fan in general so I'm not going to sit down and watch random teams play I'm pretty siloed into watching Cincinnati Bengals games. So I enjoy watching Cincinnati Bengals preseason games, getting some of the storylines about the back-end guys. And honestly, some of you might even be asking, well, if you're a Cincinnati Bengals fan, why are you excited for the football season? And you know what? You have a point. I probably shouldn't be. They've been terrible for the last five years, ever since that loss to the Pittsburgh Steelers in the wild card game in 2015. And, I mean, they've been a joke for longer than that. They haven't won a playoff game in my lifetime. But that doesn't matter. Maybe that's the masochist in me. I don't know. But I love watching those guys. I want to watch Joe Burrow. I want to watch Tyler Boyd and T. Higgins and Joe Mixon and Jamar Chase and all of those guys. Regardless if the head coach sucks or the whole team is disappointing. I'm looking forward to it. I hope you guys are too. And speaking of disappointment, we do have some disappointing news in Deep Route Land. We have had a legend, a titan of League 21, retire. Coach 6th Lord Baltimore has stepped down and vacated his positions as owner, coach, and GM of the Prospero Red Death. And this is this is really sad, guys. So just a little backstory of how I got into league 21 um, I was playing in league one at the time so one of the relegation leagues and uh, I was using the team by the same name he actually I think he still has a, a, a team in league one I haven't checked I don't think he vacated all of his teams in deep route though he did get rid of some others not just league 21 but I was playing in league uh, league one and I was having some success I was having some uh, I think I'd string together a, a few winning seasons strong offense defense you know the whole thing and uh, league one is at the time I don't know what it is now but at the time it wasn't the strongest league there were some CPU teams Um, I I distinctly remember playing three four five CPU games a year Um, so that definitely helped but I was having some success and uh, got on discord one day and sixth had sent me a message asking if I was interested in league 21 now back in the day League 21 was a pay-to-play league, so you actually had to um, buy credits and enter the league via a payment with credits, if I'm remembering correctly. So I was just kind of like, ah, man, I don't know if I want to... 
I don't know if I want to spend money to get in the league. And that's when he told me, no, hey, we we get rid of that requirement. You can just go ahead and jump in. We're just looking for, for coaches that are active and, and who seem to know the game well. So he's really the reason why I'm here in the first place. And uh, just like everybody else, I mean, we the game has its quirks, but we all generally enjoy playing the game. For me, he was the reason why I got involved with this league, which I think is the best league in the entire game. And it just really sucks to see him go. Sixth, we're definitely going to miss you. I don't know if you're going, going to be listening to this, but we're going to miss you. And, and I want to talk a little bit about what his history has looked like. Uh, he's been in the league since 2054, so he is one of the longest tenured players in the league. I mean, that we're looking at a, a time in 21 of five and a half real years. So he's been in the league since 2016. Does that sound right? I think. I mean, that's that's what the history is telling me. I don't know. He may. I I did. I went back to 2054. I found that that was he wasn't in the league in 2053. But I don't know if he was in the league before that. And during his time in the league, he won six Super Bowls. He's been to 12. And I really want to try to put that into perspective of how good sixth really was. So if you look at the all-time rankings. Shadows has been to 19 Super Bowls. And then River Sticks, Coach Tran, has been to 18 Super Bowls. Coming in number three is sixth with 12 Super Bowls. And he won seven of those. So going back to River Sticks and, and Shadows, the Hartford Revolution, Shadows won 11 Super Bowls. River Sticks has won 10. And sixth won seven. So we really are talking about an all-time great. If there was a Hall of Fame within Deep Route, sixth would be a shoe-in. He would be a first ballot GM, owner, coach. And I truly hope that he does return because the league is better with sixth in it. We do have a new addition that I would like to welcome to the league. Coach Johnny Football, and he's a new addition to the league, but he's not a new player. He's actually been in the league before, 20s and 2050s and 2060s, prominent coach, had one of the best quarterbacks, if not the best quarterback in League 21 history, Clarence Massengill, who holds several major passing records, uh, the yardage record, touchdown record, He's in the top 15 in passer rating all time. An absolute behemoth. Won one Super Bowl, went to two Super Bowls. So very glad to have him in the league. He joined my division, uh, the Memphis Pharaohs, for those who are not yet aware who Johnny is. I really like the stadium that they're playing in. And it's a building that I've been fond of for, for quite some time. So if you're on I-40 heading east coming into Tennessee... Um, right as you cross the Mississippi River, you're going to see a gigantic glass pyramid, the Bass Pro Pyramid. They have taken over, they purchased the building, and they've taken it over as their, as their stadium, which is unique because one thing about the Deep Route Football League is all of the teams, or I guess all of, yeah, all of the teams and the league itself, they're very flexible. They have a lot of stadiums they have they have prop-up stadiums that can be used as a temporary stadium 
until a team has stayed in the league long enough to grant them a permanent location or in case a team wants to move around, maybe they're not sure where their home city wants to be. But but Memphis didn't do this. Memphis is signaling that they are in it for the long haul. They purchased the empty Bass Pro building. That is their stadium. And uh, it, it looks great. There's, right now, they're currently they're currently playing in a temporary stadium while they renovate the interior of the of the pyramid. But it should be completed next year. Um, don't know what the capacity is going to be yet, but I'm really excited to go there and and play some games. Check it out. Never been inside, and yeah, just thrilled to have Johnny in the league. Hopefully, he doesn't go back to winning Super Bowls and. And having all-time great quarterbacks, because that would really throw a wrench in my plans of division domination. But I guess as far as a wrench being thrown in my plans, PSU's already done that. So, what's another wrench? Halfway through the season, guys. And it's been exciting. And I'm really excited to talk about some of the first-half performances. I'm happy with how my team's been performing there's been a lot of really good performances through the first half of the season. We're going to dive into those, but before we do, I want to talk about the trade market, which was unusually quiet. And I say unusually quiet in the sense of blockbuster trades. There were things going on. There were some trades made, but nothing really blockbuster-esque. Yeah, just... I don't know. So there was a trade of Jamie Dunning. I guess that might be one of the bigger trades. Second round pick this year. He's a rookie. He's going over to Fort Wayne. And I like the value of this trade. So one thing you have to try to do, and we spoke about this in the last episode in relation to Conway, how Conway was in a contract year. And the rumors are that this is going to be the last season in Richmond and I'm not sure he's going to get another contract simply due to how expensive he is. Quarterbacks in today's age are simply not worth $16 million a year. So you have to try to find this balance of having a quarterback that can run your offense the way you want it ran, but not break the bank, which, I mean, that kind of sounds like, duh. I mean, of course, of course, Coach Goose. Of course, you idiot. That's what you want. You want good players for cheap. Everybody wants that. Yes, I get it. Okay, listen. The performance between a $5 million quarterback and a $16 million quarterback, it's not worth that extra $11 million. Now, I know that Conway is an all-time great, and there's been some debate about this. I think he would be a Hall of Fame caliber player. If, if he were to retire today, I think he would be a Hall of Famer. Some don't agree, but that's what I think. I think he's got the accolades for it. He's a multiple-time MVP, holds several era passing records, um, he's been to two Super Bowls. That's the only thing that he's missing right now is is a Super Bowl championship. I think he would I, I think that it would be unanimous. If he won one Super Bowl, I think it would be unanimous. He would be a first ballot Hall of Famer. But some don't agree with that. I think he's a Hall of Famer. Regardless, I understand that he's had enormous success in the league and he has been the type of quarterback to warrant sixteen million dollars a year. But look look around at all of the top level teams. And just look at what they're paying their quarterbacks. They've they've found quarterbacks that run their offense for the four to five million dollar range. And the performance to value ratio, that's where that's where it tops out. 
And so, yes, you can have success with a top-end quarterback warranting top-end money, but it's it's you're going to be able to build a better roster if you get a middling quarterback and put elite talent around him. One thing that one example that I can give is is Martell, Arthur Martell. He's my quarterback. I'm paying him. I think uh, he's in a contract year as well. He's getting five point five million dollars a year, and last season he threw for over five thousand yards and. 37 touchdowns year before he threw for 40 touchdowns this year he's on pace to throw 50 touchdowns i think yeah we're week eight i think he has 25 so he's on pace to throw 50 touchdowns and over 5,000 yards again so the production is there and i think jamie dunning can provide that kind of value now he's coming from a smaller school eastern illinois and he has some deficiencies so he's going to he's going to have to be coached up um Coming from a smaller school, he has some uh, some processing issues. He doesn't process the play overly quickly, but he has straight-up elite arm talent. Strong arm, can make any throw that you want him to. Pinpoint accuracy. Footwork needs a little bit of work, but it's, it's there. His, his mechanics are solid, and I really trust that coaching staff over in Fort Wayne. Coach Gypsy is a guy who's had several high-powered offenses, several successful quarterbacks. I don't see any reason as to why Jamie Dunning would fail. It might take him a couple of years to get where where Coach Gypsy wants him to be, but this is this is really good value. Um, I really like I really like what, what Gypsy is doing over there. And they Fort Wayne also traded for another guy, Ralph Diaz. And I'm a little I'm not as hot on Diaz. He's from Syracuse. He's a wide receiver. Now, he's only a third rounder. So, they didn't they didn't have to trade a bunch to get him. And, and this is tough for me because he, he's at high he's highly athletic. Elite athleticism. And all of you know how I feel about athletic players. I want athletic freaks on my team. He fits that bill. 6 foot 2, 216 pounds. Elite athlete. Great straight line speed. He's 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 got a he's got a developed route tree, but his footwork, his footwork can get really sloppy, leading to him getting jammed at the line or not getting a slant off correctly, rounding off a route, it, allowing corners to get position on him. I guess it depends on what it really depends on what he's looking for Ralph to be. If he's trading for Ralph to be a back-end kind of guy, fourth receiver, fifth receiver, then okay, fine. Hey, I think he's good depth. I think if you had to throw him in for a few games, if one of your top guys went down, I think he would be able to do fine. But where I start where I start cooling off on the deal is what he gave up to get him. He gave up a second rounder. And we're talking about a team that already doesn't have draft picks. This draft pick wasn't even for the upcoming draft. It was for 21-22 because Fort Wayne has no draft picks in the 21-21 draft. And they've already traded away their first rounder in 21-22. And now they've traded away their second rounder in 21-22 for Ralph Diaz. I don't like the value that you're going to get from Ralph in comparison to what you could likely get in the second round. And I get it. The draft is a crapshoot. So what he's betting on is, hey... I'm willing to bet that I can get Ralph to produce better in my offense than a second rounder could in my offense or my defense, depending on you know whatever whatever he ended up drafting. But I just 
I'm not a huge fan of it, but you also have to take this with a little bit grain of salt because I'm not a huge trader anyway. I think since I've come into League 21, I can count the amount of trades I've made on one hand. I think I've actually I've only made two, I think. I traded for Victor Wheatley. Yeah, Victor Wheatley. And I traded for a back-end roster guy uh, from Freight Train two or three years ago. So I'm not huge in the trading scene. And Fort Wayne is one of the league's most prolific traders. So it'll be interesting to see how this plays out and if Gypsy will be able to get the production necessary out of him to, to meet that kind of value. But I don't see it. I don't see it. He's had no success up until this point in, in his career. And if it truly is just a just a trade to get some depth onto the team, I, I don't understand it. I don't see the value. And uh, I'm not a fan of it. But there are a few trades that went down that, that I am a fan of. Probably my favorite trade is is Kenneth Wolfenbarger. Kenneth has been in the league for four years now. This is actually his fifth year in the league. You might remember him from his college days. He played at Mississippi State, undrafted into the league. Uh, he actually had a huge highlight reel-worthy play back in... Uh, 21-14, they were playing a game against Texas A&M. Play was all over the sports networks. It was a uh, it was a play right down the right sideline where he was making a diving one-handed catch, and it capped off a massive day. I think he had something like 200 yards in the game against Texas A&M. It was an upset victory. Mississippi State hasn't been very good recently. And just phenomenal play. So you might remember him from that. He was undrafted. And uh, he hasn't had much success in the league, but I, I do like him as a depth player. And speaking from Washington side, he was drafted by Wa or picked up by Washington. Uh, the value that they got for him, they traded him for a fifth rounder and a depth running back. And this is from a guy who they didn't spend any draft capital on, so they were able to flip him, fifth rounder and a, and a backup running back. And then from the Southeast Texas perspective, they get a guy that, is great depth and they didn't give up a whole bunch to get them they gave up to in my opinion the right amount of value to get that type of player i love the undrafted storyline behind it i remember the hype behind the play that that i mentioned earlier when texas a&m was upset just just great i really like the value that both teams receive i think this is a great trade and then there's some other trades steven martis and Roger Alvarado, Stephen Martis being traded to Southeast Texas again. They were active in the trade market. And he's he's somebody that hasn't had a whole bunch of success at this point in his career. But I think he has potential. And I am hoping that a change of scenery is, is going to be beneficial for him. He has the athleticism that you want. He has the size that you want. The strength that you want. He's a little slow off the line. His footwork can get a little bit sloppy. But overall, I think he has I think he has potential to be a productive rusher. At the very least, I think he could be great in a pass rushing rotation. But if you want him as your starter, I think on the right line, he could provide some some real pass rush value. Now, one thing that Southeast Texas is missing right now is a strong line. And that's why they went with Lynn Kirk in the uh, in the most recent draft, who I I really think has developed quite nicely. He only has two sacks on the year, eight tackles for loss. But you can see the progression throughout the season. So I don't expect Martis to come in immediately and 
provide an immediate pass rush boost. I mean, we're talking about a, a player who's had six sacks in his career, and he's been in the league for six, seven years. So we don't have a whole lot of data to back up the assertion that he's going to come in and immediately provide a pass rush boost. And that's not what I'm saying. I just think that in the right situation, he could be a valuable player. And right now, Southeast Texas may not have that situation, but they're building that up. Lynn Kirk is a great addition. And Charles Kennedy is another player on that line that would really benefit from having better rushers around him. So they're getting there. I think Martis is a good pickup. And I'm fine for what they gave up for this. So they gave up Nicholas Oglesby, which I've seen a lot of talking heads around the league talking about how they shouldn't have gave up Oglesby for Martis. But you look at Oglesby's history, and he did win the Mullins Award last season. He had a phenomenal season. Had his 166 tackles, 20-some-odd tackles for loss, nine sacks, uh, good coverage statistic. I mean, he was he was a very valuable linebacker but look at the rest of his look at the rest of his career guys that was the only season that he had played anywhere near that level last season was an anomaly and if you don't believe me go try to find him he's in the free agency pool if he was such a good linebacker somebody would have somebody would have picked him up by now so southeast texas was able to offload oglesby before he started trying to chirp for one last big contract and they got good depth in Steven Martis. I'm a fan of the move and I certainly I certainly believe in Coach Jaw's ability to build a team and, and make the correct moves. He's had plenty of success to back up his actions so not much criticism here. I, I really like what Martis is able to bring to the table and I think it's a good trade. And to finish out our trade market, we're going to talk a little bit about Roger Alvarado. And there's not a whole lot to say here. I think it's a good trade. It was a, it was a, essentially a flip. Roger Alvarado, Gene Phillips. Gene Phillips was on Canada. Alvarado was on Freight Train. It was essentially a flip for the two players. I, if anything, I would say Freight Train won the trade simply because they gained an additional fifth rounder out of it. Alvarado and Phillips are, are very similar players. Big-bodied guys. Phillips is six foot six. Alvarado is six foot seven. Both are great athletes, and both have had success receiving the ball in the league. So, we're talking about two players that you could take and put into any offense in the league, and and they would they would put up numbers. They would have success. Are they elite tight ends? No, I'm not going to go that far. But I think they're serviceable tight ends, and they would for what they're. For what they're going to cost you, they're going to be able to bring good value. So, good trade, especially from Freight Train's end. I do have to, I do have to ask the question what the objective for Kanata was. Like I mentioned, this is essentially a flip, and I, I don't see, I don't see the value that Roger brings over Gene. And you're giving up a fifth round pick, which okay, fine. I mean, you can argue about the the value of a fifth round pick, but it's still a it's still draft capital that you're giving up. And then looking at it from a contract perspective, Roger costs more than than Gene. So I, I do wonder what Coach Sai was was going for. I, I don't see I don't see the objective here. I could just be missing it. Um, but this is this is why I'm saying that I think this is a better trade for Freight Train. You're essentially getting the same kind of tight end cheaper with an additional fifth-round pick added on. So it's, it's a no-brainer to me. Good trade from, from uh, Coach Matt. 
And I would be interested to hear what, what Coach Sai's objective was and get his perspective on it. Speaking of Coach Matt, let's go through the top teams in the league. We've been through eight weeks of the season, so we have a good idea of who's competing for divisions and, and who Super Bowl contenders are. And we're going to see a lot of familiar faces. If you look at the official power rankings of the Deep Route Football League, we're going to see Richmond topping out at number one. They're seven and one. Conway is on his way to another MVP, but he has some competition. We'll talk about that here in a little bit. Yours truly, the Oklahoma Outlaws, have stormed into the first half of the season. We're sitting at 8-0. We're coming in at number two. Coach Matt, number three. Nashville, the big surprise. A team that was selecting in the top five last season, or this past draft, is now sitting at number four in the power rankings. And Verdin Vultures, Rounding out the top five, always a contender, Coach M. You can never count him out. One thing that sticks out to me about these rankings are the strength of schedules for all of these top teams. There's a pattern here. All of these top teams, except for one, Nashville, have rather weak strength of schedules. They've had pretty soft first halves of the season. Um, Nashville has had the hardest strength of schedule out of the top five, and it's still rounding out at about average. So it's not like they've had a particularly tough schedule, though they do have to play River Sticks. They have to play Freight Train. So it's not a not a walk in the park, but they've still had some cupcakes on their schedule. But everybody else, including Oklahoma, I mean, we've had probably the weakest schedule so far. Really the only quality team that or two quality teams that we've played are Dallas and and Long Beach. Long Beach is around league average. Dallas is obviously always a Super Bowl contender, and that game we're going to touch on a little bit later. Um, but Oklahoma has had the weakest schedule. So you can make an argument that, yes, we've had some very huge victories, but how impressive are they? I mean, beating Blue Ridge by 20, 28, 29? How impressive is that? Now, the, the the game where we went into Florida and we played the Southern 69ers, we went into their stadium, we beat them 55 nothing. I I think that was a big-time statement game. The, day, the game against Dallas, obviously a statement game. Um, but that was only a three-point victory. The Praetorians, Coach Gregory has been working on that team. He's had a tougher schedule this year. They haven't, they haven't found a win throughout the first half of the season. We beat them by 38. Again, how impressive is that? Divisional rival game against the Armadillos. We beat them by 51. You know, Amarillo's, uh, that one doesn't look impressive on paper just because of the the, the tough season that, that Coach Cheapo has been having so far. But as a divisional game, they beat me last year to keep me out of the playoffs. So they're never a gimme. Having to travel to Amarillo, um, I consider that internally an impressive win. But... Looking at the power rankings, it's obviously it's obvious that the voters don't think so, and and I can understand it. Again, we just based on the records of our opponents and their strength ratings, we've had the weakest schedule so far. So that begs the question: Is Oklahoma real or not? We're gonna find out through the second half of the season. We beat Long Beach Poly today. We beat them by seventeen. So not a particularly close game. But the, the schedule is really going to start tightening up as we get into the second half of the season. We have to play Dallas again. We have to play Amarillo again. We have to play Montreal. 
So we have some definite tests coming up in the second half of the season that are, it's really going to shine some light on whether or not this team is fool's gold or whether we are an actual Super Bowl contender. And when we start having the conversation about Super Bowl contenders, I just I have to talk about Coach Matt and, and the freight train. They're probably the most impressive team. It's either them or Nashville, but uh, the freight train's probably the most impressive team in this top five. 8-0 in the division that they play in. So, I mean, you already have to deal with River Sticks, and they've beat them. They beat them fairly easily. I mean, I, I, I want to say they beat them by 16 points. It, it wasn't a particularly close game. So Freight Train handled them. Um, they're the only other undefeated team in the league. They beat Nashville. They beat Prospero. Though, I, I guess Prospero wasn't actually Prospero at that time. That was after... Coach Sixth had, had vacated his position. They beat the Washington Qs today, who has always been a fighting team. They're sitting at 4-4, four and four, Washington is, and Freight Train beat them by 18 today. So they have some really impressive wins on their resume. And I, I really think that they're the class of the NFC. It's going to come down to, and this was my preseason prediction, it's going to come down to Freight Train versus Richmond, Conway versus Pyatt. And that's still my pick for the conference championship. And I really have a hard time seeing any other teams that can compete with those two. You have River Sticks and you have Verdin. Those are going to be the two best candidates to, to get through one of these teams. And they're going to meet. I mean, those teams are going to play at some point in the playoffs. So when they do, make sure you tune in. But to me, it's still Freight Train. It's still Richmond. Verdin and River Sticks are sitting right there at three and four within that, within that conference. And then you do have some outsider teams like Nashville. Nashville is going to have to find a way to steal a wild card spot from either River Sticks or Midwest. And then you have a little dark horse, the Reddick Devils. Coach Shelton sitting at five and three. And while he's not in that top five, he has one of the tougher strength of schedules in the league. And you can never count him out either. He's one of those, he's one of those guys that even if his team seems to be struggling in the first half of the season, if he can find a way into the playoffs, he has enough experience and he has the talent on that roster to really make some noise. But I, I've, I've got to stick with Freight Train and Richmond as the class of the conference. We'll find uh, it, it'll become more clear as the season goes on. Freight Train still has another game against River Sticks. Richmond has games against Midwest and Reddick still. So it's all going to obviously clear up as we go. But it's just hard for me to not rave about these teams, especially Coach Matt. Uh, just the way that that team is playing, absolutely suffocating defense. They've only given up 71 points on the season. And they just have this aura about them, much like much like River Sticks has. You know, River Sticks has always been known for their just very tough defense, and and I've always likened that to Mike Tyson. How when he was in his prime, you would step in that ring, and he just had this aura about him, and he had you beat before that match even started. He had instilled a fear so great in you, and so powerful 
that he didn't need to hit you with a left hook or a right cross to take you down. You beat yourself as soon as you got into that ring. And I've always thought that River Sticks had that kind of aura about them. And I think Freight Train does as well. There's obviously an argument to be made that several other teams in the league have that aura. Dallas has been one of those teams that historically, or I say historically, but over the last five years, I haven't really been able to to solve that puzzle. Richmond is another one. They go through, they blow out teams left and right throughout the season. So you have arguments for other teams. This year, for me, it feels like Freight Train has that aura about them. You step on the field, their defense is so suffocating, and their offense is efficient enough. It doesn't matter. It's it's hopeless. You're going to lose. That's the way it feels as you head into a game with the Freight Train. I mean, we're talking about a team that doesn't even have a home stadium. All right? They play in a train yard. How intimidating is that? Instead of walking into a pristine, beautifully constructed stadium, you walk into a dilapidated, tore-down train station with rusty cranes hanging around, rusty freight cars. It's like something out of a movie. There's perpetual mist across the football field. I mean, we're talking about a division that is housed some of the craziest home stadiums. We've already talked about River Sticks being the literal portal to hell. Prospero was in a different dimension. Nashville, who knows what the fuck's going on in Broadway. And then now you have this you have this stadium straight out of a horror movie. And it really fits the kind of football they play as they sack your quarterback endlessly, intercept your passes, and suffocate your offense. I certainly wouldn't want to go there. And speaking about not going there, luckily for Nashville's playoff hopes, they don't have to in the second half of the season. Nashville has a, uh, they have an upcoming game in week 10 versus Freight Train, but it's a home game. So they get to play them in the honky-tonk capital of the world, and they're hoping to have a huge home field advantage. This is a game that they need to win. There is just no margin for error in that division when you have Coach Matt and Coach Tran, and now you're adding Coach Biggie to the equation. He needs to be playing flawless football, and this is the perfect opportunity for him to make a statement and really step in and and try to grasp that last wild card spot. And he still has a game against River Sticks. That one is going to be at the end of the season, Week 16, Um, And that could have huge playoff implications. But in order for it to have huge playoff implications, I think Nashville has to beat Freight Train in Week 10. And they they have a... Nashville has a really tough schedule coming up, guys. So not only do they have to beat Freight Train in Week 10, tomorrow in Week 9, they have Montreal. Now, thankfully, Montreal and Freight Train are both in Nashville. So it's it's a home stint. They get to play two straight home games against these top-tier teams, and they are must-wins. Nashville has to beat Montreal. Nashville has to beat Freight Train. Or else, I I really think that Midwest or River Stakes is going to start running away with it. Let me put it this way. If Nashville doesn't beat Montreal, and if they don't beat Freight Train, then they're going to need outside help. They're not going to control their own destiny. They need to take these two out, not only to legitimize their competition, their place their place in the league, but in order to keep their playoff hopes alive. Like I said, there's 
there's no margin for error. So take out these two guys. You're still alive. You're competing. Maybe you even take over a, a wild card spot. But it, it at least keeps your hope alive for a Week 16 showdown with River Sticks. Man, I just thankfully I, what a what a run. River Sticks also has to come to Nashville. So his last three big games of the year are all in Nashville. That's a huge bonus. Uh, for those who don't know, uh, home field advantage is a thing in deep route. So the way that this works is the home field team, all of their players get a bonus of 2.5. I think it's 2.5. Get, get a bonus of 2.5 points to every single attribute. And the away team gets a negative 2.5 to all of their attributes. So home field advantage is an actual thing. And Biggie has it for his last three big games of the year. Montreal, Freight Train, and River Sticks. River Sticks potentially being a game with massive playoff implications. What a schedule. And I'm I'm loving what what Biggie is doing over in Nashville. I mean, we spoke about we spoke about him during the, the draft segment and how he selected Jesse Willard and how I liked Shane Kerr. He just needed to have some protection. He's finally got it. He's got that offense humming. And, and he's made some real noise in the first half of the season. I, I hope he can keep it up for the second half of the season. It's been very entertaining, and it looks like the second half of the season is going to be even better with some of these titanic matchups. Uh, some other interesting second-half matchups that we have, the classic Week 10. How can you not talk about the classic? It's the yearly rivalry between Midwest and Richmond. I love watching the classic. Midwest has been a team that here recently, has had such a terrifying defense. I mean, a pass rush, that whole division. I mean, Richmond and Midwest and Reddick have had pass rushers and defensive lines straight from hell. So it's always, and they've had high-flying offenses. I mean, we know about Richmond, Conway, and Chad Green, and some of the other big-name players that have gone through there. But Reddick is, is another team that has really put up some numbers, and made some noise. David Bauckham had a 2,000-yard receiving season a couple years ago. Maybe even been last year. Uh, Wolf, who was actually just released from Reddick. Uh, Wolf has had a 6,000-yard passing season in a three-year span. He threw for over 17,000 yards. Just absolutely ridiculous numbers. Um, so any game, any interdivisional game outside of Austin, it's usually very entertaining. But the classic is a classic. El clásico, un partido maravilloso como Real y Barcelona. Okay, maybe it's not as big as El Clásico. But still, incredibly entertaining game. I'm looking forward to it. And then right after that, Richmond has Verdun, Week 11. Man, what a, these NFC teams have just a murderer's row of schedules. AFC is pretty good too, though. Don't start with me. Richmond at Verdun for Week 11. Uh, another Titanic matchup. I mean, you're looking at two teams there that, that could be meeting in the uh, in the conference championship game. Like I said, at some point, uh, some combination of Richmond, Verdun, uh, River Sticks, and either... Midwest or Reddick. Those guys are going to be meeting up at the playoffs and it's going to be fireworks. So really looking forward to seeing some of those matchups. 
Long Beach Poly at Chickshalub and Week 10. Massive playoff implications. Those guys are still fighting for the, <clears throat> well, really, fighting for the division and for the wild card spot, the last wild card spot in the in the AFC. Southeast Texas is currently holding on to that division at five and three, but they lost today and Chickshalub won. Both teams are five and three, but Chickshalub does not have the tiebreaker that belongs to Southeast Texas. But we're going to be seeing really competitive football, especially between Southeast Texas and Chickshalub. Those teams absolutely hate each other. That rivalry is fierce. And then with Coach Oak being thrown in the mix, you're going to have some really entertaining football over the last half of the season. And finally, to round out our interesting second half matchups, we have Oklahoma at Dallas. This is going to be absolutely massive for divisional control, um, as well as to try to legitimize our place in the league. You know, I, I told you I would speak about the the first game that we had. We, we beat Dallas in Oklahoma by three points back in week three or four. Um, and it was everything. It was a game where everything went our way. They turned the ball over three times. Barlow threw two interceptions. We recovered a fumble. And uh, it still took them failing to convert a fourth down late in the game. We threw a game-winning touchdown with about two minutes left to go. And then we had our interception to, to seal the game on that two-minute drive. So it was it was a game where everything went our way. And as we go to Dallas, that can't be expected. We're going to have to play better football and not rely on Dallas playing sloppy football. Now, if we win in a situation where Dallas does play sloppy football, okay, fine. But I would rather go in and and play superior football and show that we're the superior team instead of placing a bet on a whole series of events happening and just not going the way that Dallas wants, right? So it's actually funny. So there was, there was a storyline... Um, <laughs> around that Dallas game. So the first few games of the season, the word had got out that we were looking to possibly bench Arthur Martell. Even though we, we had started 3-0, and the games just weren't convincing. Um, they were just, in some cases, we were kind of eking by these teams that we really felt like we were we were better than and we should be beating handily. And uh, he had really started off slow. He threw two interceptions against London and really didn't turn in inspiring performances in week two and week three. So I had put out some information that, uh, depending on his performance, he might be benched in favor of Stanley Ruiz. Stanley Ruiz is our backup, and he's been a guy that, when necessary, has been able to step in and, and really provide productive play. So, uh, word got out, and this wasn't meant to be a public thing, but word had got out, rumors had started spreading that this was the case, and uh, Martell was, was possibly being benched. And one thing to understand about these Dallas games is, is there's a hatred between the state of Oklahoma and Texas, and this really comes from the, the, college, the realm of college football. You have the Oklahoma Sooners and the Texas Longhorns, and they hate each other the red river rivalry and it is spilled over into professional football to where the uh, the outlaws and the um the cyberpunks the, the, those games can just be really chippy and they're really ugly and the fans hate each other so whenever they come to oklahoma 
it is rocking. We had a full stadium. The fans were just providing incredible energy and uh, just a it's a really lively atmosphere. So obviously the, the game is really tight. It's going back and forth and it's just loud. It's getting in there. And uh, after we threw that last, or after Martell threw that last touchdown with around two minutes left to go, it was the touchdown that, that put us up. I'm not even really paying attention as the team is coming off the field. I'm, I'm looking down at my sheets. I'm making some notes. And he's walking by me. And, and as he starts walking by me, I look up at him, and he's just staring at me. And so I'm looking back at him, and he says, Bench me. I'm a bad motherfucker. And then just keeps, just keeps walking. What do you say to that? Guys, what do you say to that? So you, you have your quarterback, and this was so out of character for Marty. Because he's not a he's not a super fiery guy. He's not a raw raw in your face type player. He's he's just not. It's not his personality. But word had got back to him that he was possibly being benched, and he throws that touchdown. And he basically just wants to come over and say, "I fucking dare you. I fucking dare you bench me." And what am I going to do? Actually bench him? No, he just threw for, he completed over 40 passes, threw for over 300 yards and two touchdowns, a game-winning touchdown at that against our arch rival. So yeah, you know what? I'm going to, I'm just going to laugh it off. I didn't say anything. It was just amazing. I never expected that to come from him. Truly mind-blowing sequence. And since then, he's really, he's exploded. So after that game, he followed it up with two consecutive 400-yard games. Uh, he threw in a seven-touchdown game somewhere in there. He, right now, he's sitting at 25. So at that point in the season, week three, he had thrown five touchdowns, if I'm remembering correctly. And as we sit right now, five games later, he's thrown for 25 touchdowns. So in five games since week three, he's thrown 20 touchdowns. That's the kind of that's the kind of performance we've been getting from Martell, and whether or not I mean you can hey, you can attribute it to to me calling him out, and I it wasn't meant to be a public call out, but things leak. I, I should have known better. Absolutely incredible. He's really turned himself into a, a possible dark horse for the MVP race. Um, which speaking of, let's go ahead and get into the award front runners, starting with MVP. Martell is a dark horse, but it's really it's between two guys right now, Conway and Pyatt. Conway is looking to add another MVP trophy to his case, but Pyatt is right on his tail. And let's let's look at what these guys are bringing to the table. So you have Conway throwing for 390 yards a game. Goodness gracious, he's on pace for. 6,240 yards and 64 touchdowns. So right now, as it stands, he has 3,120 yards, 32 touchdowns, six interceptions, and a quarterback rating of 102. Whereas Pyatt has 2,990 yards, 23 touchdowns, one interception, and a quarterback rating of 102.9. So it's, it's, it's tough. How do you distinguish between these guys? Like, what is the... Where's the line you draw to where it's just like, okay, well, one is significantly better than the other. I, as if, if we were, if you forced me to vote today, I would vote Conway. I would have to give a, I would have to give Conway another one. And that's because not only of the success 
that Richmond is having, but just the sheer volume of numbers that he's putting up. He is on pace to set the single-season touchdown record for this era, post-height change. Um, it's really it's, it's just hard to not give it to him. But there is an argument for Pyatt. He's playing such efficient football. The team is undefeated. They've had a tougher schedule than Richmond. There is a legitimate argument there, but it's just hard for me to give it to anybody other than Conway. So th- there's some ground to be made up. I had mentioned Martell as a uh, as a dark horse MVP candidate. It, I mean, he's there. I, I don't think he's going to be able to make up the ground necessary. Uh, he doesn't have the sheer numbers. Now, you can make an argument that uh, the value that he brings from a rushing game perspective uh, currently, Oklahoma leads the league in rushing touchdowns with 15. But with a strength of schedule argument and him just not having the sheer numbers, I, I don't think it's I don't think it's there. Maybe if the season, uh, if we were able to finish the season out 14 and two or 15 and one, undefeated, something like that, then okay, sure, you've got to throw him in. He has to be a part of that conversation. But right now, I think he's I think he's a solid third, and I think he has quite a bit of, of ground to make up. So for me, right now, it's between Pyatt and Conway. And then moving over to Offensive Player of the Year, we have three really strong candidates. We have David Bauckham, Ollie Williams, and Michael Jennings. David Bauckham is the superstar wide receiver out of Reddick. Williams is out of the West Lafayette Boilermakers and Jennings out of Richmond, one of Conway's favorite targets. Uh, all of these guys are having phenomenal seasons. You can even throw Ryan Branch in there as a as a guy that should be coming up and, and be getting, getting a little bit more hype than what he's been getting. Um, David Bauckham currently sitting at 1,151 yards and six touchdowns. Uh, Ollie Williams, right around the same mark, 1,116 yards and seven touchdowns. Jennings is at 981 yards and 11 touchdowns. And then Branch is at 1,001 yards and 11 touchdowns. So we have we have four guys, possibly even five, if you throw in Mark Williams, but five guys that are within striking distance of having 2,000 yards receiving this season. And we have two guys that are within striking distance of having over 20 touchdowns those two being Ryan Branch and Michael Jennings. In my opinion, I think the the front runner for player of the year, or offensive player of the year, is going to be Michael Jennings. Uh, he's got the touchdowns. He's got the, yard, the yardage. He's got the efficiency. But don't sleep on Bauckham, Williams, or, or even Mark Williams. Mark Williams is an interesting candidate for offensive player of the year. Look at his efficiency metrics. He has 80 catches on 108 targets, 937 yards, five touchdowns. He's averaging 117 yards a game. He's catching 74% of the balls that are thrown to him. That's nuts. He is He's a guy that I could see really sneaking in and winning Offensive Player of the Year. I'm going to be following him. I really like his chances. Those efficiency metrics are insane. Absolutely insane. But as of right now, the favorite has to be uh, it has to be Michael Jennings or, or Bauckham. One of the two. It just depends on what you're valuing more. More touchdowns or more yards. I mean, touchdowns obviously are bringing the points, but, but yardage is worth something. You can craft an equation to just figure out what yards per points are in the, uh, in, in the league. So 
That'll give you an idea of what Bauckham's extra yards are worth over Michael Jennings. But I'm going to take the sure thing, and I'm going to take the five extra touchdowns. Um, give me Michael Jennings. You could throw in Ryan Branch as a as a conversation. There's an argument for all of these guys, but Michael Jennings is my pick. And lastly, let's talk defense. Defensive player of the year. There's two guys that I am eyeballing to win it. We have Clarence Newbill. Safety out of Nashville. What a phenomenal season. I mean, from a run uh, from a run support perspective, he has 44 tackles. Not all of those are going to be in run support. So he's he's doing he's doing a good job of, of making sure that nobody gets to that nobody gets past that second level. But from a pass defense perspective, he has 38 passes defensed and two interceptions, both being pick sixes. Um, 38 passes defensed. We're looking at 76 over the course of a 16 game season. Absolutely incredible. Right now, he's the favorite, but not by much. Michael Gifford, corner out of Chicxulub, having a phenomenal season. 25 passes defense, but here's the kicker. Five interceptions for 100 return yards. Absolutely bonkers. You know, as a matter of fact, if if I were forced to vote today, I would probably select Michael Gifford over Clarence Newbill. And if you want to dive into the advanced metrics and try to figure out who is the more valuable player to their respective defense, that's actually something I'm going to be doing at the end of the season. Uh, I've formulated an equation that I like. It's 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 good for awards like this that gives you an idea of, of how valuable that secondary player was. It probably shouldn't be used for rostering decisions, but it's fun to use for talking about awards and just getting an idea of, of who was more valuable. So we'll be diving into that at the end of the season. It should be a close race. Gifford with his interception advantage versus Clarence Newbill with his pass defense and his pick six advantage. And one thing that is factored in is the good coverage statistic. That is worth something because yards are worth something. And there is a difference between the first read and the second read when you look at yards per play average. So we'll be diving into that at the end of the season. But right now, I'm selecting Michael Gifford. I like Michael Gifford as the as the favorite, and I love what he's doing, but it's going to be close, and I'm really excited to talk about it. All right, guys. Last thing on the agenda today is just to look at our preseason predictions. I said Dallas and Montreal versus, or I said Dallas versus Montreal for the AFC and the freight train versus Richmond for the NFC, and it's looking it, it's looking good so far. So Dallas, as always, is right up there at the top of the league. They're 7-1, and one, even if they didn't crack the top five in the power rankings. They're still right there, and they have plenty of football to really make it up. They could take the division away from me. Huge game in Week 13. They're always a threat. Montreal, Coach QD, always has a phenomenal team up in Canada, and it's no different this year. Really potent team. They're playing well. They're 6-2. and two, And we have a big showdown with them in Week 15. I'm still I'm, I'm staying steadfast in, in my selection. Dallas and Montreal for the AFC. Freight and Richmond. This can be a little bit tougher to predict just because of, of some of the other top-tier teams in the NFC. You have Verdun to contend with. Coach M. You have River Sticks. Uh, I mean, hell, Nashville. Coach Biggie. He could sneak in. Reddick could sneak in. There's a lot of top quality, just really, really quality teams 
in the NFC, but uh, it, it looks good. Freight train in Richmond, according to the power rankings, are the two best um, are the two best NFC teams. That's the way that I see it. But there's some uh, there's some teams that are looking in from the outside that could really make some noise. In the AFC, you're looking at Southeast Texas, Buffalo, and Oklahoma could be making the playoffs and making some noise. In the NFC, you're looking at Nashville, Verdun, Midwest, Reddick, and River Sticks. So make sure to pay attention so you don't miss any high-quality football coming up in the second half of the season because you sure don't want to miss it. And that is all I have for today, guys. Thank you so much for listening to the second episode of the Deep Route Podcast. I truly hope you enjoyed it. I look forward to making these every week. As long as you guys keep enjoying them, I will keep making them. So as it stands, I will have more material next Saturday or Sunday, and I will be talking to you then. Thank you so much, guys. Have a good day. Mm -hmm.